Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Sufficiently Black, the podcast that explores what it means to be comfortable in your blackness. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Amari Pollard, here with... Kia Swinton. And Janae, myself. AA. Okay, y'all, before we start, remember to hang with us in our Discord, um, chat with us on IG and on Twitter. You can find us at Sufficiently Black, um, or no, Sufficiently BLK. Um, yeah, I mean, what else? What else is new with everyone? It's, it's been a time. I can't believe May is almost over. It's insane, actually. I feel like we're all on the same, like, life has been too busy tracked. Is that right? It's been like... I feel like that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. It's just been like an overwhelming time of like, no sleep, work, no sleep, go somewhere. No, I'm trying to follow that trend. Is that, was that tracking or no? No, but you know I'd be behind, so. All right. Wait, what trends? I'm sorry, I'm confused. It's like on TikTok where it's like no sleep, party, no sleep, hit the club, and people be like doing outfit. You know, just forget about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't been on TikTok as much. I'm honestly it surprised he, Kia didn't get the reference. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm I know. I, May too. was really busy. Y'all are the tic- TikTok queens. I'm hoping June is less busy. I haven't been on TikTok as much yet. I am praying June is less busy. I am praying. Please, God, please. For real. I just want to, like, be put. And, like, I want nothing to happen. I want no surprises. I want calm seas all around me. Like, I have this thing. I don't know. I feel like y'all know. I don't know. But, like, when I get really stressed out, my tongue and my mouth tingle. <laughs> yes, we know. And, like, <laughs> it sounds funny, but you have your tongue tingling all day and not be able to make it stop, you will go insane. And that's just, like, how I know this month has been too much because, like, my tongue is, all like, on fire and... I'm, I need to I need to get back in therapy. But like I be I was I reached out to a few therapists in California and no one returned. I'm like Wow. Why is it so rejection. hard to get a therapist? But also people don't accept insurance and I'm like That's annoying. That's crazy rem- out here. I remember trying to find a therapist and just getting rejected time after time again and feeling like this shouldn't like it shouldn't be this hard and painful actually to find a therapist where, especially as a black person, I would imagine most black people would like a black therapist. And then you finally find a black therapist that takes your insurance. And it's like, I have a wait list the size of Texas, sorry doll. And it's like, oh. And it especially hurts when you had a therapist and like, you know, it was like, it like worked out. You know, like I really loved my therapist, but she doesn't, she can't practice out of state, so it sucks. So y'all, this week we have a really special guest on the podcast. This is um, one of my college friends, Sarah Harmatek. Uh, and I'm really glad we got to uh, sit down with her uh, for this conversation about uh, black adoption and what it's like being adopted by parents that are of a different race. So here's a little bio on Sarah. Sarah was born and raised in Syracuse, New York, a graduate of Lemoyne College, Gold Dolphins 
and SUNY Cortland. She's now pursuing her second master's degree at Syracuse University. Sarah works for a nonprofit organization in her hometown aimed at helping at-risk youth achieve academic and post-secondary goals, including but not limited to college and career, trade, military, and employment. Sarah is just as impressive as her uh, bio sounds, and I think this conversation is worth not only listening to once, but multiple times and sharing it with as many people as possible, because she really did just like, everything was just like, you can't even respond, just can just nod. <laughs> yeah, I think this is actually one of the best interviews we've ever had, um, in my humble opinion, but I think um, Sarah just has such a unique story, and she just has a great way of like explaining it and I think it's just a lot of like realizations whether you're adopted or not and just like seeing how like certain people go through you know life um so yeah I hope you guys really enjoy it um so I'm going to start with a listener question Sarah we asked our listeners you know this is the topic we're about to do I've been personally wanted to do this topic for a while um because I have some friends who are also adopted typically by white people and um, it's just been interesting to hear about their experience but what saddens me the most and we could talk about your personal experience after this is that I feel like when white people adopt people who are not white they tend to like strip them of that culture like see them as like you know straight up white and they don't you know talk to them about their history or their heritage and they don't think that their kids operate in a different world than they do and I especially saw that, you know, during um, during um, the tough times in 2020, like when Asian hate was happening, you know, that disconnect there or Donald Trump. And there's a lot of you know people who are like, you know, black, but their parents voted for Donald Trump. And it was really hard to navigate that relationship. Um, so I guess I want to talk about your experience, if you want to just tell us, you know, a little bit about you, your adoption story, how much you want to give us, and, like, the relationship with your parents um, between race. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'll start from the beginning. Um, so I um, have always been, like, a, I guess a kid of the system, you could say. So immediately out of the hospital, I went into foster care. Um, and from foster care, I was adopted. Um, and something that a lot of people struggle to understand when it comes to adoption is that there's a bunch of different components to it so like there's foster care there's foster to adopt and there's just solely adopting so my foster family is separate from my adoptive family um the family who fostered me had teenage children at the time and they've had a number of kids come through their house i was their first foster child they ever had so i grew up having a really strong relationship with them too they um stuck around in my life up until probably a year ago um, and then my adoptive family had only um, sought out adoption um, after having two biological children. They were never interested in fostering. Um, so that's kind of like how my story started out. So I was in foster care for three months and then was placed with my adoptive family. And adoption is such a long process that it's not like, okay, I came home and all of a sudden I was adopted. Um, it took 18 months. Um, for me to be come adopted. So um, I was like roughly two years old. Um, so I've never known anybody but my Caucasian parents and Caucasian siblings. Um, so it's always kind of been, I don't want to say it was a struggle, um, but I think it was always a learning experience for my parents and my siblings 
and I grew up thinking they were doing like a service to me but they always say now that like I was the service to them because I gave them like the ability to experience things they never got to so my I was born and raised in Syracuse my parents are from Syracuse but my parents both grew up in the 60s and 70s so they grew up through the civil rights movement and we're kind of that generation that understood like black people and white people are equal. Like there's nothing that separates us outside of our skin tone. So my parents were never the people where I thought I needed to express like, because I'm black, I'm treated a certain way that my siblings aren't. They were the ones who brought the conversation to me. They were always like, listen, you will face certain challenges because you have brown skin that your sister or your brother won't. And whatever those challenges are, we we chose to support you through it because if we weren't going to do it, you wouldn't be here. And my siblings have always been that way too. So I kind of have like like a positive experience through it, even though there's always a con to everything. I was bullied a lot in elementary school um, because I had white siblings and white parents and I was the black one. And now that I'm older, um, I wish I knew then how to voice my frustration and pain with the bullying to my parents, because I made a lot of decisions based on that silently, that now that I'm older, I wish I had done differently, because it would have set me up for life, probably better to explain to people who don't really get it and don't understand adoption or don't understand the divide between the black and white community. It would have gave me the ability to explain it better to people, because I was the one who kind of took myself out of the black community. and only allowed myself to be like a part of my white family until I really got to college and was able to be like, okay, it's okay that you're black. It's okay that your family's white. Like the world isn't going to always hate you for this. Be comfortable with it. Just to start out, I mean, you mentioned that your parents kind of brought these things to your attention with saying like you're black. And because of that, your experience is going to be different from your siblings did you yourself have an aha moment where you were kind of like, oh, shit, my family looks different than me? Or did you always know that? Was there one specific moment that you can remember or not? Yeah, so I was in um, elementary school and my siblings and I all went to um, a public city elementary school. And my sister did public school all through high school. Um, and me and my brother both ended up doing private high school. But I remember um, one day in the cafeteria at our elementary school, seeing my brother and his friends. And my brother was like, oh, like, eat lunch with me and my friends today. Like, don't sit at the second grade tables. Like, you can sit with us at the eighth grade tables today. And I was like, oh, cool. And I'm like, hanging out with my brother. And a kid in my class was like, who are you hugging? And I was like, oh, that's my brother. And he was like, that's not your brother. He's white. And I was like, what do you, like, that's my brother. What do you mean that's not my brother? And my brother was like, yeah, it's my little sister. And he was like, so did your mom drink chocolate milk or something? And my brother um, did some older brother protective tendency-like things and ended up getting suspended. But that was kind of like my eye-opener to like, wow, people notice that we look different. Like my entire family to some point is pretty diverse. I have cousins who are adopted. I have cousins who are in like blended families. So it was never different to me. But then when I noticed that other people saw it, I was kind of like, well, why do I look different? Why doesn't 
my sister looks different? Why does my brother look different? And my brother told my parents about it. And that was when they kind of started like the conversations of like, this is why you look different. This is kind of how this happened. This is what it means for our family. And they've always been like, whatever questions, like ask them, we'll answer them. Whatever you want to know, we'll figure out. Just off of that, because I mean, like, obviously, Sarah, me and you like connected in college. And so I think I came at like an interesting point where you're like talking about like how in college is where you started to step into your blackness and who you were and like being comfortable with that. But like, as long as I've known you too, that's just like how I've known you to be. And I've always known you to like speak very openly just about like your experience being adopted and like um, having those conversations with people. So I'm wondering like, how did you reach that level of like comfortability of like openness and talking about it with people and also like with yourself? Yeah, um, it was kind of like separating myself from my family. So, um, like, my brother and I both went to a private, um, predominantly white high school, and he's seven years older than me. So the high school, it was like a junior high and high school, so the year he graduated was the year I entered seventh grade. So it was like, as he left, here was another one of us. And it was small, so every teacher he had, I had also. So with our last names, it's a very uncommon last name. People are like, oh, you're related to Jack. I'm like, yes, yeah, my brother. And people would be like, oh, okay. And I would have to start the conversation of like, yeah, I'm adopted. Like, And teachers would be like, oh, that's really cool. But I had always went through like my life being my sibling's younger sibling because I was following their path so closely. And in high school, I chose to go to that same high school because at that point in time, I was like, it's just easier connecting with like this white side I think I have because I only know like Caucasian things. I guess that's the way I thought, like clearly now that I'm older, I'm like, oh my God, you, you sound stupid. But like, that's kind of how I thought at that point, because I had dealt with the bullying for so long that I was like, well, if everybody sees me as white, I might as well just go where the white kids go. And then I got to college and nobody knew me from a hole in the wall, even though I went to a college in the city I'm from. So it's kind of like my ability to reinvent myself and just be myself. And people were either going to accept that or not. And regardless of what their choice was, I was going to be okay with it. So I got to college and I was just Sarah. And I was like, cool. So who is Sarah? Not Sarah, the adoptee, not Sarah, the little sister, just Sarah. To quickly comment on that, I don't think that mindset is stupid or weird of this is what I know, so I'm going to stick to it. You know, like, I get it. I mean, in, in your defense, the th- the two of us, the th- Miki and Amari, we all grew up in mostly white environments and suddenly switching to a black environment would be weird for us when we were younger I mean now I think we're a lot more comfortable and understand ourselves more but I can completely empathize with feeling in this white space feeling more comfortable than you are in a black space and then maybe going to a black space and even feeling some shame around not feeling comfortable simply because it's not familiar and you you made a good point about um college because I feel like I mean College is a place where it's, like, a clean slate. Like, no one knows anything about you unless you go to, like, maybe a community college and stuff like that. But if you do, like, you know, step away from that, 
I, I had the same realizations where like college is where you know I started learning about like colorism and I started learning about my hair texture and like the different types of hair textures and like saying that out loud I was like oh I feel stupid because people are gonna be like bitch you're black why wouldn't you know this but when you grow up and there's like you know five black kids you're you're grouped as y'all are black and that's it also I have a I have a twin sister too so like I oftentimes think people see us the same where even though my sister's like a couple shades darker and but you know people aren't going to be like oh she's she's mixed because they know what my sister looks like so it's like obviously they're not mixed but when I was out when I was in college and life and people don't see me and my sister together that's a new experience where I had to deal with people thinking I'm mixed I'm uh you know a different race than my entire family um you know and it's just like interesting how college is you kind of get to reinvent that that life for yourself that that you got to do so um what are some of the things that like changed during college like did you start you know going to more like you know parties with more like black people or did you start did your interest change or like how did that look like um (laughs) i don't even really know how it happened um i was in a club with amari called power it's the for pride in our work ethnicity and race and there's a club fair Freshman year, I was, like, a homebody. I stayed in my dorm room by myself. Like, I just went to class. Like, I was trying to be, like, the perfect college, like, studious student. And then um, sophomore year, I went to, like, the club fair. And I think it was, can't remember if it was Amari or our friend Kayla, but one of them, like, ran up to me and was like, hey, you should sign up for this club. And I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, come over to our booth. Like, come see it. And I definitely like, think it was Kayla that ran up to you and I was at the I booth. Think it yeah. Was. <laughs> And I, like, came up to the booth, and they were like, oh, my God, hi, like, nice to meet you. Like, would you like to join our club? And I was like, sure. And I signed up, and I just, like, happened to go to a meeting. And I walked into this room of, like, just, like, beautiful black people. And, like, I mean, granted, not everybody was black, but, like, on our small campus, like, the fact that all of us were in a room together was, like, oh, what's good, homie? Hey, sis, hey, cuz, what's going on? And, like, from just from walking in that room, I was like, oh, wow, this is what safety feels like. Like, this is safety outside of my my parents and my siblings who have protected me for so long. Like, this is what it feels like. And from, like, that moment until senior year, like, I don't think I surrounded myself with anybody but people from this club. (laughs) That's so sweet. That's so absolutely sweet. I think, I don't know about you guys, I can remember having kind of a similar moment where I was hanging out with all white girls and some racist shit happened and then I was like fuck that I'm out and I like only hung out this was like junior senior year of high school and then from then on I only hung out with the black kids because I was doing something similar only hanging out with white kids because they made me feel a little bit more they were more familiar and then I started hanging out with the black kids and I was like oh this is what it feels like to feel safe and understood and like okay um I'm so curious you know I think there are some moments as a black person surrounded by white people where your differences are made 100% plain and there's nothing you can do about it for example when Obama got elected as president I know we were really young but I know for me it was like you only want him in office because you're black you know it was like a whole thing or stuff with um police brutality how have those moments been for you um they're I don't want to say they're weird 
Um, but they're like they're talking pieces for me, like with my family. Um, so I had an I had an incident. Um, wasn't necessarily like a police brutality incident, but um, I think I was like 19. I was on my way to Florida um, with my boyfriend. He went to college down there, and we drove. We're in Georgia, and like never again in my life will I ever fall asleep on a road trip because of this incident. But I was sleeping, and I guess we got pulled over. I don't even know how we got pulled over, but we did. And all I remember is like him waking me up and being like, "There's there's police officers. Like don't don't freak out. Like don't do anything that's going to make you seem suspicious." And I was kind of like, "Why would I seem?" And then I was like, "Oh, I'm in rural Georgia. Like that's why it's going to seem suspicious." Girl, and that I could have been a sundown town. I immediately called my dad and put my phone in my pocket. And like that was just kind of like second nature too. Like not because of my surrounding, but like any time. I've ever been like, oh, this could be something. It's just like habit to call my dad and just like put my phone somewhere. Even if he hangs up, like just the, the fact that at some point I called him and maybe he was listening, it's like a safety thing. So I remember like the officer was like, I need you to step out of the car. Like I'm going to do a search of the car. And in my head, I was like, you can't do that. But I was like, I'm not going to say anything because I could piss you off and something bad could happen. So I just got out of the car, stood by the car, like, and just started, like, trying to have, like, a normal conversation. Oh, like, the weather's nice. Like, da 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 Like, and I, it's sad to say, but, like, when I talk to my siblings about this, my brother always says, like, unfortunately, like, that's, like, your way instinct is to, like, small talk your way out of situations. And that's what I was doing. Like, trying to literally, like, make this guy think that I was, like, this great girl. Like, there was nothing wrong. There was nothing in the vehicle. And there wasn't. But, uh, like, the next thing I knew, he, I was watching him, like, shake a dog, like, shake a dog's collar. And I grew up with dogs, and um, all of my dogs have always been trained by, like, this man who was training dogs for the police academy. So I knew certain things about how you can aggravate a dog that you shouldn't do, and I was watching him do all those things to be able to say, like, oh, we need to search the vehicle for drugs. And I watched him do it and he said that and I just looked at my boyfriend and I was like holy shit like we are nine states from New York we're not 21 years old like I'm 19 you're 20 and we're in like this old 2002 car that you purchased yourself like they're never gonna find our bodies something's gonna happen they're never gonna find us and 10 cop cars lined up behind our car and all these officers got out. And I was just standing there like, holy shit, today's the day I'm going to die. And I kept trying to, like, put my hand in my pocket to get my phone to see if my dad had hung up. And I was like, you can't reach into your pocket. Like, these are things you can't do. And eventually, like, they, like, they did some corrupt stuff. And they ended up taking my boyfriend. And they let me follow them. And then, like, I got him out because I called my white father. And had my white father, who works in business, make some phone calls. And my white father found a lawyer in rural Georgia who could come help me at 19 years old. So it's like, it's sad that, like, I knew this could have been something bad for me. But I also knew if I thought of how my siblings would react, nothing would happen because my siblings are white. And I've seen my siblings get themselves out of situations by just remembering that, like, if they stayed calm and they were polite, and like you you just follow directions you'd be okay and it's it's gross 
that like, to me, that was like a white tendency thinking moment. Because I was like, there's no way they're going to look at me and say, this is probably a nice, young, educated black girl who's just taking a trip and nothing's wrong. And I literally like, I tell people all the time, the only way we got out of that situation and I'll take to the grave with me is because someone in my family is white and they knew another white person who knew another white person who knew another white person who came and got me. Holy shit. I was not expecting that to go there, but. I'm curious, is your boyfriend or was your boyfriend at the time black? Yep, he's black. Okay, okay. I'm assuming that was the case since they like took him and. Yeah, I, I assume too. I just wanted to double check, but that. Oh, that's insane. Insane. That's that's an example of like, that's such a good story because that's literally like white privilege. And I think people think white privilege is like doesn't exist or, uh, you know, privilege only comes with money. And this is just a prime example where like, yes, you could have been like an educated black person. But like, I just I strongly believe like no matter how much money you had in that situation, they still saw you as this black person. And it didn't take till you like, you know you knew someone who knew someone who knew someone and that is the definition of white privilege and i think white people have such a hard time understanding it because your siblings if they didn't have you they probably would have been like this is an everyday day i'm just gonna call my dad i'm just gonna do this and that's an everyday thing for that where if we don't have that connection to like white people our our response would have been like i'm fucked like i don't have a fucking lawyer i don't have a you know a white connection to get me out of this but I, I just, like, hope people hear your story and realize, like, that's the reality of being black no matter if you have, like, white parents or, like, you know, that's they that's what the world sees you as. And I think, like, I'm so happy for you that your parents, like, understand the difference between you and their lifestyle because a lot of people, their parents would have just been like, this is how you go about the police. You just, like, pretend to cry and that's it. Like, but that's not, like, you can't do that. Like, your life is different. Yeah, and the worst part about all of it was, like, once, like, my parents, like, of course, like, reacted as any parent would. They were, like, distraught and worried. And my dad was, like, I'm going to get on a flight right now. And I was, like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to come get me? I, I drove down here. I'm, I have to drive back. Like, stay in New York. I'm fine now. But my siblings were, like, wrecked. My sister, like, would not stop calling me, like, every, like, couple of hours and be, like, are you safe? Are you okay? And at one point, I was like, you have to understand that, like, yes, I'm the baby's family. Yes, I'm a little sister. Yes, I'm a teenager. But, like, I also know how to hold myself accountable for things. I know how to hold myself professionally. Like, I know right from wrong. I need you to stop worrying about it. And my brother was like, to this day, he's still this way. I'm 26. He He's like, call me wherever you're going. So when you leave, let me know you're leaving where you are. And then call me when you get there so I know you got there safe. And I'm always telling them, like, I, I know you guys worry about certain things, especially with how 2020 went and 2021 went. And now, like, given how close we are to Buffalo, like, I'm always telling them, like, I, I know you guys worry about me because of the color of my skin. But that's also kind of a piece of the problem. And I need you to recognize that. And they get it. Like, I know they get it. But sometimes I need them to separate, like, little sister from young black woman. And, like, pick and choose which one they want to view me as in certain situations. So I don't always feel like I'm I'm being protected because I'm Black when they're protecting me because I'm the little sister. But then in times where it is, like, a racist situation, I know they're protecting me because I'm Black. 
not because I was a little sister. You did make a point about 2020 and like, yes, it's the Buffalo shooting, which is like an insane story. But I, I would feel like 2020 was such a major year, like COVID, you know, the election, George Floyd. Like, how was your family? How did your family like react in those situations? And did you ever feel like any tension or awkwardness because those were like very heightened recent like race issues in the country? And to add to that. To add to that, do you have any uh, racist family members or maybe more right-leaning family members where some of your views, because of your experience, kind of uh, collide with their views? I guess, like, the best way to kind of sum it up is um, I think my, my parents and my siblings, like, sometimes I look at them and I'm like, do you guys think me being black is like a superpower? Because like the the second like George Floyd happened, like my parents live in a development because they're like old and retired, and um my mom put like a Black Lives Matter sign out on her lawn, and the head of the HOA told her she couldn't put lawn signs in, so my mom put it in her window, and the lady at the HOA told her she couldn't have things up in her windows, so my mom went and got a flag, and the lady from the HOA came to tell her to take the flag down, and my mom was like. You let people put up American flags. You let them put up Syracuse University, like, go orange flags. And she was like, I'm leaving up my flag. And my mom's neighbors were like, um, they were like, oh, like, where did you get it? And my mom, like, ordered, like, her whole street these flags. And I went to her house one day, and I was like, is this your doing? And she was like, yes and no. Like, I put it up because, like, it's a cause I care about. And I need people in this neighborhood, which is, like, very cookie-cutter white. She was like, I need them to understand that, like, this is, this is something we believe in, whether they think so or not. And I remember being like, Mom, they're going to think it's just because I'm black. My mom was like, none of my neighbors know you. You don't live here. Like, ain't nobody concerned about you. And I was like, oh, okay, like, go ahead, do your thing. And then my brother was like, I, um, he would, like, text me and be like, let's go downtown and protest. And I was like, I, like, don't really want to. And he'd be like, why not? And I'd be like, because, like, you have to understand that at some point, like, being black is tiring also. Like, I can't keep going out and fighting a fight that not everybody's getting behind. And my brother was like, well, fuck it, then I'm going to go. And I was like, all right, go ahead. And he would, like, send me pictures of him with my friends out there. And my friends would be like, Jack is down here and you're not what is going on. And I'd be like, yo, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And they'd be like, well... Your brother's out here with a microphone yelling at people, like, screaming Black Lives Matter, and everybody, everybody's fucking with your brother. And I'm like, yeah, I know, that's my dog. Let him know. And my sister, like, who has three young children, she, um, like, the first thing I remember my niece ever saying to me was, like, Sarah, like, you're brown and beautiful. And I was like, thanks, so. Like, that's mad cute. And she's five now, and she will say to me all the time, like, um, she's like, Sarah, look at my brown baby. She looks just like you. And I'm like, oh, my God, how cute. And she's like, she's beautiful. And I'm like, I know. And she'll be like, black is beautiful, Sarah. And I'm like, say it again, Sophie. Like, they're very, they've always been very good at, like, trying to not make things awkward like they're pushing the issue. But they are very, very concerned about the issue to the point where sometimes they're more concerned than I am. And when I'm sitting there and I'm like, you guys, I'm tired. Like, I'm tired of being the black woman that protects black men and supports black businesses and all these things that are like the expectation and like the trend now they're like all right well you go be tired and and we'll do it for you because like we need people to understand that we care about this and not because you're black because it's 
it's what we should be doing because there's no difference in who you are or what you believe in just because your skin is darker. And I have some family members um, who I don't want to necessarily come out and say they're racist because I don't really think that's it now that I'm older, but they definitely aren't um, as progressive as they probably could be. And it, I don't want to say it like causes divide because um, my parents have no issue not speaking to these members of their family. Um, but my dad did tell me a story of when my parents were getting ready to adopt me um, in like the late 90s. He had a conversation with his father about like, I'm adopting a black baby. I know how you feel about the black community because my, my grandfather was from like the Valley of Syracuse and um, worked was a fire chief and like was always having his firehouse like vandalized or broken into or always dealing with like people who gave a bad name to the black community. So he had like a chip on his shoulder about them. He had like a stereotype ideal of black people. And my dad like told him like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I believe in. This is what's best for my family. And if you can't get behind that, then you have no no business being a part of our lives. And I guess my grandfather was like, well, if you're cool with it, I'm cool with it. And it was like a turning point for him that like one person doesn't make the whole community bad. And then it's kind of like has trickled down through like my dad's siblings. One is very, very supportive of, you know, the choices I make as a black woman and standing behind like me supporting the black community and one sibling is not. And my siblings are always like, oh, I unfriended this cousin because they posted this or I unfriended this cousin because they said this racist thing on Facebook. And I'm like, cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm helping you guys weed out the bad apples of our family because it's not about me being brown. It's about the fact that they don't believe in things that are like or should be common norm now. If it's 2022 and they're still posting racist stuff on Facebook or Twitter, it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm black. It has to do with the fact that they, they belittle those people regardless if I'm a part of your family or not. So you're not doing it for me. I just am the lucky one of the bunch that gets to be like, haha, you're getting kicked out of the family because you said this and everybody's taking my side instead. And I think that's why I said, like, sometimes I think my siblings think being black is like a superpower because they're like, oh, my God, because this happened and you opened your big mouth and responded with this. And now there's a feud going on. We don't have to spend Christmas with them. And I'm like, you're welcome. You're welcome. Happy, happy to be the person that made that happen. You know, quick aside, it is white people are hilarious to me. They are hearty, har, har, hilarious. Because it's so funny how you can kidnap an entire group of people and then basically bankrupt them culturally and economically and then sit back and say, well, a few black people did some bad things, so therefore all black people are bad. All of you are bad. Huh? Y'all made this happen. Like, what if we use the same logic? But we can just talk about the Buffalo shooting. We could just talk about the Buffalo shooting. Oh, white 18 year old. What? First of all, you have the nerve to shoot up people at 18. Like, sir, come on now. I, I, your life is not that hard. But you felt that strongly that you had like a whole manifesto. That's on some weird shit. And America just never talks about how extreme and how much of the hate crime. Like black people make up half of the hate crimes in America. We don't even make up 14% of the goddamn population. So the math is not mathing there. More, more than half. 
more than half more than half okay more than half and no i don't i don't I, all i saw was i was thinking today and i was getting a little annoyed because like i'm gonna say this i'm kind of annoyed that black or white people have off juneteenth and i feel like the only oh, reaction i'm so annoyed it's annoying because the only reaction from 2020 was like a bunch of them posting black squares hashtag black lives matter when they like fucking traumatized us because i was posting that shit in 2015 and the same people who were starting shit with me for posting that were the same people talking about black lives matter five years later but that's another story and then y'all did all this did your black squares you pushed to have a federal holiday for all of y'all to have off and now we're getting shoot up in grocery stores so so where's where's the action because all i see is y'all got another day off and we still dying at a crazy rate and y'all have the nerve to judge us because you saw one black person say the n-word and and you couldn't say it now you're mad but like y'all can shoot us up for fun for sport and we never say all white people suck because we would be racist. Like they would be like, "You're racist." And they put, and, and, and their only repercussion is that they get put in handcuffs. Yeah, they're still living, still walking around here free. They they can, the fact that they can make it to the handcuffs. There you go. Know. You just you and just know. Any any how that was reversed, and it was a black person that did that, dead on sight. Dead, dead on. on not sight. even dead a question. On sight y'all know that that's the reason i i could be wrong but that's the reason why we have the the blue lives matter flag and all that bullshit because one black man went and killed a few cops got a little radical on bitches and now all the cops are like blue lives matter blue lives matter it's it was one time it doesn't justify people dying however if we did that same shit, if we did that same shit, what? The amount of Southern family members I've had who have had all of these terrible experiences and then to come to the North and have the same exact terrible experiences and they never, not a once, say white people are terrible. There you white go. White people are the worst. Yeah. We have people on this earth who have picked cotton with their fucking bare hands and you don't see them shooting Still up shit just today. because they're mad. You don't see them like terrorizing white people for sport. Cause listen, if it was me, I'm not gonna promise you the same thing. I'd be out here like making sure y'all live the worst fucking lives. And when I die, I will come back and haunt all you bitches. I'm not that nice. But when I see my grandma talking about she was getting sticks thrown at her, I'm about to already fight her, fight people for her. And she is so nice and so kind. And it makes me so angry. And white people just need to shut the fuck up and listen, listen to things like this, where like, th- this is just shit that's like, because I feel like when you say that to white people, they'll always do like a, well, that's not true. And um, we don't know if, if black people would have died if they got shot or we don't know if black people would have died if they stormed the Capitol. Yes, the fuck we do. Yes, we do. There, if we storm the Capitol, it would just be a massacre. Yeah. That's what it would be. Yeah. That's a but fact. So that's qu- a figgity fact. They're so quick to be it's like, well, funny. you don't know. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because, um, like, <laughs> my brother, like, I don't want to say he's playing devil's advocate, but, like, that's my brother's way of thinking. Like, my brother says stuff like that all the time. My brother will be like, but if you did it, and I'm like, yo, for real. And he's like, that's so fucked up. And I'm like, yo, I know. And he, he says all the time, he's like, I, I hate saying it, but he's like, it's such an embarrassing thing currently to be a white male. And I'm like, I bet. I'm he's so like, happy to be he a says white that. Male, he's like, to be a white male who, who believes the things I believe in is so progressive as I am, when people look at me, he's like, I guarantee people look at me and they think I'm just like a Republican, a white male who doesn't believe women like deserve any rights. And he like, he'll say this and I'll sit there and like cry laughing and he'll be like, what's funny about it there? And I'm like, Yo, it's just funny that you get it. Like, it makes me happy that you get it. 
And he's like, it's disgusting. And he has two little boys, and they, like, the things that they know as, like, a two-year-old and a three-year-old, I sometimes look at my brother, I'm like, you, 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 you sure you're not, like, real, real, real light-skinned? Like, you, you sure you Caucasian? Because I just feel like you, you get it a little more than I get it sometimes, and I kids get it. And they're two and three. When a two and a three-year-old can look at somebody and be like, what you're doing is wrong to other people because you don't like how they look, and they're two and three, that's when I'm like, yo, if you guys get it, and, like, this 50-year-old doesn't get it, like, there's, there's, a, there's a problem. And it's just, it, like, kills me. But it's also, like, just the whole, and I think that, like, I really do hate the saying or, like, that belief that, like, oh, when all the old people die or whatever, like, the, so will this thought process. And I'm like, it's not just old people. Y'all realize, like, ideologies, beliefs are passed down from generation to generation. Like, there was this one video, I think it was, I, that was circulating last week about this little eight-year-old who had, like, taken out a whip from his house and went to go whip the door of a black girl. Yes. And then, yeah. Yes. And then, yeah. and then the girl's dad went to go confront the, the the little boy's dad and the dad brought out a gun. So just like things in, in seeing that, I was really like, I really felt like I was in some time warp. I, I, I was like, it was so, I mean, but that's, I think just like kids have to be taught to believe a certain thing, you know? And I think that also shows like your, your brother is obviously teaching his kids like, how to be accepting and how to like just like accept people for who for who they are and treat people with respect and all that stuff and I think like that's that is it. Our next partner has a product that's great for improving gut health, increasing energy, and helping optimize the immune system. If you take pills or vitamins and want a supplement that actually tastes good, Athletic Greens may be for you. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. Take it easy. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'm Donna Green. And I'm Jonathan Stokes. And this is Now We Know. The monthly podcast where we unpack and repack our Black history as you relate it to the world of today. What didn't we learn? What do we want to learn? What do we need to revisit to establish the historical truth and not just what we were taught? We're here to learn and grow together as a community with the intention of bringing awareness to better our futures. Brought to you from the lens and life experiences of two millennials. A queer, Catholic-raised Black man. And a straight, spiritual, divorcee, single-parent Black woman. Now We Know is brought to you wherever you get your podcasts. But that's a true statement because like two or three is actually, I think when people pass down um, political ideology, the average age is like four or five. So by like four or five, they already know like my dad votes X, Y, and Z. This is why I would vote. So it does start like super, super young. And I think that's why these uh, politicians are like afraid of like critical race theory because they're like, if they know it at a young age, they'll, you know, you know, we'll, we lost them on the good fight of white supremacy, you know? But that's that's interesting too because I guess I guess like I think I'm thinking of the first time like someone said like something like 
you know, like kind of racist or just like questionable to me. And it was around the age of like four or five. And I do remember like, I think it was in maybe, I can't remember what grade, it was definitely in elementary school. We had like a pseudo election. Um, And it was like when Bush was running against, what's his name, John Kerry. Um, And I was like all for John Kerry or whatever. I was like, you know, trying to convince my classmates to vote, but like definitely around the time, I didn't know what John Kerry's policies were. I just knew my parents were gonna vote for him. And like, that's very, <laughs> that's very much of the, um, that makes sense of the timeline. That's thing. true. I did the same thing. We had a fake one there. I mean, I grew up in like Trump County. So all the, all the, you know, everyone voted for Bush and that. I think me and my sister were like legit the only two that voted for Carrie. And I was like, I don't understand. Like, these people are fucking crazy. Like, I don't understand why they would vote for like not John Kerry. I thought they were wild. <laughs> Same. Um, real quick, Sarah, to, to bring it back, I'm curious about when you learned about more cultural things like hair, for example. We've all had a terrible journey as black women with our hair, I would only assume. But I imagine with white parents, like, girl, how did that pan out? I always or or other cultural events like, I don't know, history, black films. I'm sorry if these questions are ridiculous, but I'm I'm just so curious no. about when you learn these things, because for me, they were passed down from my parents and family friends and just being around black people and learning these things. Yeah. Um, so I um, grew up with like two, like that I can remember, like two very like prominent black families around my family. Um, so one of my best friends, like her mom and her dad are black married parents, which we did not see in our elementary school. Like even to this day, we joke about it. Like she's always like, I came from a black two parent household. Like I made it out. Like it's always like a running joke for us because like she's from the same neighborhood I am. And we call this neighborhood a gated community in the ghetto because like our little neighborhood is very safe and all the surrounding areas are not. And her mom um, used to come into like our classroom in elementary school. And you could tell the days that my mom did my hair and, like, the days that my dad or, like, my brother or my sister did my hair. Because my mom had, like, the braids and the bobbles and the barrettes down and no one else did. Oh, shit. So, oh, shit. Yeah, she my mom, learned. My mom didn't play. Yeah, it didn't play when it came oh, to me. My mom was like, if this mom. is what's going to happen. Hold on. Let's see if I got a picture. That's really she, she didn't play that game at all. She was, she was like, guess what? My child's not going to. If I can't figure it out, someone's going to figure it out for me. So, like, my, my friend's mom would always redo my hair. Um, but then my brother had um, a friend who was, he was biracial. His, his father's white, but his mother's black. And they had four biracial kids, and some of them had really, really curly, nappy hair. And one of them had, like, relatively, like, wavy hair. And I remember, like, distinctly remember, like, going swimming at their house. And she'd be like, ah, get up, let's go in the shower, get the conditioner. Get, get the paddle brush, like, we about to fix this because the chlorine can't sit. And I used to be like, what you mean? I'm about to get back in the pool. She's like, ah, in the shower, let's go. And it was like, these people were the people who I think, I don't know if my mom would ever admit to it, but I feel like they were the people who kind of taught my mom it. And then once it came to a point where, like, I looked like a little-ass kid with bobbles in my hair, I'm like fourth grade, and my mom was like, let's find a salon. And then she found some black lady in Price Chopper at that. 
And I think my mom was like in there looking for hair care products. And this, and my mom, like, she's always been very comfortable asking people for help. I remember my mom being like, hey, I have a black daughter who I adopted and I don't know what to do for her hair. And the lady happened to be like, oh, I own a salon on South Carolina Street. So like, here's my card, bring her in. And then this lady did my hair until I turned like 18. Oh my God. And she like became, she became like a part of the family. My mom would like get her Christmas gifts. Like she's just very open and comfortable. Um, I think she's like comfortable telling people she's got a black kid. Like, like not like she trophies me around in the wrong way, but she's like, oh, by the way, I got this black daughter and she's mad smart, smarter than my other two kids. She's getting a second master's degree. Like she does that type of like shady shit to my siblings, but she's very proud of it. Oh, very proud of it. Shout out, mom. Reparations. Yes. You probably won't be able to see this, but. Oh, that's really cute. Oh, I love that picture of y'all. Yeah, that oh was God. the start of her learning how to do my hair because I think that picture was her reality check of like, ooh, okay, let's learn what edges are. Let's learn how to, you know, do some leave-in conditioner something. But I but, think uh, that's like the, like, I hope any, like, I hope any people who are thinking about like adopting, I don't know if we have any in our audience, but like, especially adopting someone from a different race and culture are listening to this because I feel like the way your parents went about adopting you is probably and like being your parents and like trying to learn and do their best I think is just like a lesson um and what you, you would hope people would do you know because I feel yeah. like you you hear so many different situations where people are like I was adopted by people who you know aren't of my culture and didn't try to like help me or bridge any like gaps or just like help me learn or expose me to different things and then they feel isolated and also then there's that like period of just like um feeling even like that uh period of like feeling even more other um and i i think that's as someone i mean i haven't been adopted but i know what it's like to feel like caught between two realms um i think i think that's something a lot of just i think people in general can um relate to that but um you you just got awesome parents. Yeah, and my and my siblings did a lot of it too. Like my because my siblings grew up like in an urban like school district, like my siblings had like a ton of black friends. Like I we joke about it that like my brother used to only hang out with black kids for an extended period of time and it probably wasn't on purpose. I just think that's how things happen because his demeanor like is so like probably not now cuz he's like an adult and like a parent and stuff. Like his his like younger self-demeanor was so hood that like sometimes I'd look at him and I'd be like who the hell do you like you think you Eminem or something like you think this eight mile what is wrong with you <laughs> like that's just his demeanor like my brother like used to always have a buzz cut like mad tight like if his edge up wasn't right he was mad about it and I used to look at him and be like are you, are you okay and like that's adorable he, he like he would like camp out for sneakers he always had let's like, get your brother like, at ancestry.com test <laughs> He needs one. Like, it's, and like, it's ridiculous because sometimes I look at him, like, and he's, his sons are like that too now. Like, my nephews always have, like, fresh edge ups and, like, always have, like, the nicest Nikes or, like, Jordans on their feet. And I look at them and I'm like, what the hell are you doing to my babies? Like, do not make them like you. It's cute and all, but, like, please just let them find themselves. But he, like, only listened to rap. Oh, like, only. Like, nothing about him screamed, like, I have white parents. Like, you would think that he was, like, 
the black one of the family. So, like, a lot of that stuff was passed down from my siblings. The same with my sister. Like, sometimes I look at my sister and I'm like, who messed you up, kids? Like, she she loves Jay-Z. She loves Biggie. Like, she walks out of the house and will rap it. She, like, raps it and her kids will repeat it after her. And I'm like, what? I'm not like that at all. Like, I listen to hip-hop. I listen to rap. But their extent of it is, like, y'all are definitely born in the 80s. Like, I get it. Y'all those 80s, 90s babies that, like, we're living in the perfect time period and everything was right with the world. And then I came at the end of the 90s and I'm dealing with this fucked up 2000s. And you guys are like the adults now who have no cares in the world but raising your children. And sometimes I look at them and I'm like, I wish I could have been your age when you guys were that age. So I had more of the experience of it because all, all of it, I feel like I got from them. And my dad in a way too, like, because my brother is really athletic, like, I played a lot of sports, but my dad, like, would seek out things that, like, it sounds weird, but, like, like, things that were pertinent to my culture. So, like, my dad found a step team for me to join and was, like, the step team dad. Oh, my God. Like, was what? super into it. Like, my like my dad would, like, step with me in the kitchen. Wait, stop, stop it. Stop it. What? Yeah, so yeah. a middle-aged white man was on Doing the court it. while oh. y'all was uh-huh. stepping like Sarah yep. Sarah Sarah wait we have to we have to we have to practice yep. this move it's uh 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 yep. does wow. your dad have rhythm yep. does your dad have rhythm no oh no like well like to an extent like an old white man rhythm like like if you play like step. some blues or some jazz he could definitely two steps but other than that, he ain't he ain't there with it. But like they like I look back on it now and I always laugh because I'm like, you guys did so well. Was the sub like, team good? Was the sub team good? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Shout out to and, Dad. And, I, like, and he was always like, "Is there a step team at your school? Like you should join it." And I'm like, "Dad, like I don't want to be a stepper." And he'd be like, "But why not? You're so good at it." And I'd be like, "Because I like reading books and I'm quiet and I enjoy math." And my dad would be like, "Oh." okay then and i'd be like yo just just say you enjoy it more than i do he's say like i wanted to be dead. stomp the yard and i can only live through you because yeah. he can't join it <laughs> that's so cute um to ask another question from one of our listeners we've been if you haven't noticed we've been basically just like asking whatever the hell we want to ask but i'm reading our outline and someone asked a really interesting question do you feel like the race of your parents ever influenced who you dated or found attractive? Oh, it did um, when I was younger. Ooh, oh, tell I us about it. Be like, I'm gonna marry a white boy, and he's gonna be handsome. Arr. And I, I so thought that. Um, and it's like, God, I'm so glad that he can't hear me. It wasn't until I met my current boyfriend, who I've been with for ten years, and he's black. Like, I met him, and I was like, Who the fuck are you and where have you been all my life and he like swears up and down that he's like he'll say all the time he's like the reason you are the way you are is because you met me and I'm like shut up it's not you and he's like all you needed was some dark chocolate in your life and I'm like you're lighter than I am bro you ain't dark chocolate like he's a clown but he like he swears it's all him what was your what okay so before when you were younger your your parent you grew up in a white household so you thought like oh i'm gonna date like a white handsome guy yeah. and then you just happened to meet your boyfriend and he really was the one that just was like switch your mindset yeah. on that it was just him yeah 
Yeah, it was just him. And my and my mom says it now. My mom used to be like, I hated that you dated these trashy white boys, but I wanted you to like find yourself. But my parents are like obsessed with my boyfriend. They love him. They love him. Like my dad, like will call him to watch the game, like whatever games on without me. My brother and him like hang out and like go golfing. Like my sister will call him when she like needs help with something. My mom calls him when she needs like something heavy move. My parents moved over the summer and they didn't want to use a moving company because of COVID because my grandmother is 91 and my mom's like her primary caretaker. And my mom called my boyfriend and she was like, we're moving. If we pay you, can you help us move? And my boyfriend was like, yeah, no problem. I'll run a U-Haul. And he like moved my parents with my brother and my brother-in-law, like moved my parents to a new house. Like, I swear they like him and he likes them more than me. Oh, this is such a nice story. I feel like this is so yeah. This is so nice because I feel like I have a handful of um, friends who are adopted and their stories are not like this at all. And yours is honestly the only, you know, positive ones where I'm like, it, it also actually makes me a little bit more mad at their parents because I'm like, see, your parents didn't have to like have someone tell them to do this. They just knew like we're going to adopt a black person and we're going to take these extra measures to like make sure she even just saying like, I'm going to make sure she finds herself. Because your 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 mom could have easily been like, listen, bro, wrap it up with the white with the whites, and yeah. they were just like, nah, let her find herself. Like, I'm gonna you know find someone to do her hair. I'm gonna do this stuff, and it's just like, I just I hope people if, if you know people do plan to date or plan to like adopt someone outside their race, like it's 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 doable. Like you you need to do the work, and I'm happy like you have a positive experience. Also, side note, do you watch This Is Us? I do. How do you feel about that storyline, Randall's storyline? Parts of it I like and parts of it I don't, and it's actually why I stopped watching it and need to kind of get back into it now that I know, like, how things have ended. But um, my mom actually started watching it, and she put me onto it. She was like, you have to watch this. And I was like, I'm not going to watch it because, like, it's going to be hella fictitious. Like, it's not going to be, like, a real experience. And she was like, if you don't watch this damn show. So I watched it with her, and I fell in love with it. And I was with it up until, like, I think what really started turning me off from it was, like, how, like, Randall's relationship with Rebecca, his mother, like, started seeming as though, like, she was overcompensating for his sad story of how he became adopted. I always felt like, even if it it was underlying and maybe I was, like, empathizing and, like, like feeling the storyline too much, but I used to be really uncomfortable with how, like, I felt like she always, like, prioritized him and him only from his other siblings. And I was very scared that my siblings felt like that at some point. So I started asking them. I'd be like, was there ever a point in time where you felt like mom and dad, like, put more energy into me or prioritized my needs because, like, I was different? And my brother was like, no, because I was the athlete and you got dragged around behind me for Thank probably you. the first 17 years of your life. And you rode on my coattails until you got to college. And like, that's my fault for never giving you the space to be independent. And my sister was like, no, because I'm 11 years older than you. And I went to college when you were like six and I never came back. So I don't know what the hell mom and dad are doing with you. Like, we just wanted you to be you. And like, if that worked out great, if it didn't, oh, well. So, like, I started feeling like I was watching it, and I was like, oh, my God, like, cool, he's adopted, we get it. Cool, he's struggling with being adopted. Cool, he needs therapy. And my mom was like, why are you so mad at it? And I'm like, because that happens to everybody. 
Like, it's not just happening to Randall because he's adopted, and I don't like how this storyline makes me feel like we're only focusing on him being adopted. Like, I want to know more about why he wants to run for office. I want to know more about his younger relationship with his wife. Like, that's what I wanted out of it. And when I wasn't getting it, I was like, fuck this show. Because it didn't feel authentic to me. Yeah, I always wanted to hear, like, what what people who were actually adopted her. Because I I did think it was really interesting because you don't really see a storyline like that on TV. And I remember that um, they did actually, like, seek out, like, I think they sought out a therapist who was on Therapy for Black Girls, um, a therapist who works specifically with, like, transracial adoptees. And so they had some consultants. But that's really interesting, um, your perspective on, like, how you perceive the show. But, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I know it's like a you were talking about the hair and I remember like I only watched like the first two seasons but for people who don't know like one of the for this is us there's a storyline where like um a, a black baby is like left on like at the hospital and like this white family adopts them and they have like two of their kids who are white and um the the mom just like kind of just like doesn't see the black child as black at first she kind of just like parades them around the same and like they have racist grand parents and she doesn't really like you know do much about it and at one point she you know they take him to the pool and Randall like kind of like goes off and finds his black family and just you know stays with the black family and the black family is like bro what the fuck are you doing with this hair because he has like razor bumps and you could tell that she doesn't know how to maintain his black hair so it's it's definitely an interesting storyline um in terms of tv but um it's interesting to hear someone who's actually adopted feel a certain way about it yeah, definitely. I never watched a show. I've seen bits and pieces here and there, and I've heard a lot about it, but that is an interesting perspective. Um, I think just to to wrap things up, would there be like, I don't know, I guess a piece of advice that you would have to any transracial adoptees that may be listening to the show? Um, my best piece of advice, I guess, and it's kind of like something I tell myself daily, because, like, by no means do I have, like, it figured out. Um, I feel like people always tell me, like, oh, you have such a great adoption story. And I'm like, well, it, I'm 26. So it took 26 years of getting here. Like, I've only, like, just recently have, like, been in the space of, like, acceptance and, like, being comfortable talking about it. So, like, my the thing I tell myself every day is, like, when I walk outside my door, no one knows I'm adopted unless I tell them. Like, I am just Sarah. I'm just a black girl who goes to work, goes to college, comes home, like, is a, is a professional auntie to a bunch of little kids. Like, that that's, that's, like, my identity. And it's, like, when I tell people I'm adopted, that's when they choose my identity to be the adoptee. So it's, like, I, I'm reminding myself every day, like, every day when you leave your house, you have the ability to create the narrative of who you're going to be that day. Nobody else has that power. So make your day your day. Love that. Sarah, you're so wise. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, my God. You're, like, definitely one of the best guests we ever had. I'm not just saying that. But, like, this was this was amazing. You gave us some, like, great stories and great sound bites. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great tip for anyone, not just someone who is a transracial adoptee. I feel like that's literally great advice for anyone. Like, People don't know your life. You decide. Well, thank you, Sarah, for joining us. We love the conversation. Um, do you want to plug anything or tell people where they can find you? Or, I mean, yeah, they they can find me on Instagram. Um, 
My Instagram handle is um at Sarybop, S-A-R-I-B-O-P. I post a lot of, like, adoptee-related stuff in November because that's National Adoption Month, and then in May because that's National Foster Care Month. But other than that, like, I'm just the everyday black girl just out here trying to, trying to make it like everybody else. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. You can talk to us on social media at sufficientlyblk. Email us at sufficientlyblackpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. You can listen to us anywhere you get podcasts. And please, please don't forget to follow us so you don't miss any new episodes. Until next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> Lay the hell. Rub the tail